You know, I've always been told that being smart is learning from your mistakes and being wise is learning from the mistakes of others. So I've always enjoyed when I myself get the ability to learn from the mistakes of others or when I'm a part of something that learns from the mistakes of others, whether that's a church or an institution like the school that I work at or if it is our country. In the 1970s, Vietnam was a very unpopular war. People were um, protesting against it, and one of the things we learned from Vietnam is how not to treat our soldiers. As soldiers came back, they were often looked down upon, spit on, cussed at. I've had soldiers who fought in Vietnam tell me that they couldn't even speak about their service in a restaurant without people moving away from them. Now, that's something I'm proud that our country has corrected. We, we've learned from our mistakes a little bit, and now we live in a country that gives a lot of honor to our soldiers and people that serve our country, and that's a good thing. Coming into the 2000s, as we had wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, soldiers enjoyed a lot of support when they returned home from people just saying thank you and buying them meals, upgrading their tickets on planes, and even praying for them. It was, it was a good way that we learned from our mistakes. But every good thing usually has somebody who runs it. Is that not correct? There became something, a new sensation in America called something, um, something called stolen valor. People who had never served in the military realized that people walking around in uniforms were getting lots of attention and extra benefits and so what they did is having never served in the military they would buy a uniform and they would put it on and as people would come and thank them for their service they would tell stories about where they had been and make up the story of who they were that's called stolen valor there are now organizations dedicated to tracking these people down and exposing them for being frauds for for stealing valor that does not belong to them that belongs to soldiers they go out with a video camera and they come up and they'll ask people questions and then they'll show them just how little they know about actually being being in the military. Their ribbons are out of place or their uniforms not put it together or whatever it is. They, they say they served in a country where that unit never went and they go across the country tracking down people who have stolen valor. The message is clear that just because somebody wears the uniform of a soldier doesn't mean that there is a soldier underneath the uniform. We've been in a series called Going Through the Motions and we're looking at this about three chapter uh, discussion between Jesus and the religious elite of this time. And Jesus has just knocked them out with three parables that we went over the past few weeks talking about how he is taking the kingdom of heaven and giving it to others. And Jesus' message is clear. Just because you have robes that make you appear holy does not mean that you are a holy man underneath the robes. After three parables where Jesus gives these stories about somebody, these Pharisees and these chief priests, they start going... Do you think he's talking about us with all of these bad characters? And they really don't like what Jesus is saying about them. So they decide they're going to come back at him with a new discussion, a new question. They're going to try to trip him up on his words in another trap of questions. And that's where we're at in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses uh, 15 through 18 here. And it's going to tell us what's going on. So Jesus has just talked about how the, uh, the Pharisees are losing their um, hold on the kingdom of heaven. He's giving it to others, and this is what they did. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Heridians, saying, Master, we know thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what, uh, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? 
But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt me, ye hypocrites? So here's what's happened. Jesus has this ability to go out and teaching. He's teaching against the chief priests. They don't like him. They say, we're going to trap him. And they come up with this question, but I love the way that they go about it. They get into a little group of people and they discuss, how can we mess Jesus up? How can we make him look bad in front of everybody else? And they come up with a question they think that he cannot answer. And so they come out to Jesus and they start with flattery. And you know that you've got to be good at lying if you can lie to the Messiah, right? It's like, you know, you, you are such a good teacher. We know that everything you say comes from God. So we have a really tough question that we know you can give us an answer to. Should we give our taxes? Should we pay tribute money to Caesar? And this is a no right answer question. At this time, Israel is ruled by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire has say over everything in the country. It would be like today as Americans, if we went to war with China and China took over America, we still lived as Americans, but we were under the rule of, Chi of the Chinese. We were under the law of the Chinese and we had Chinese soldiers everywhere. I don't think we be very happy with that. And in Israel, people were very unhappy with this. And when it really comes down to making you mad is when it gets in your wallet, doesn't it? And so the question was, should we actually pay taxes to this empire that comes across us? We have to by law, but is it right for God's chosen people and God's nation to pay taxes to an empire that worships all of these false gods? Now, Jesus really couldn't answer this either way. If he answered yes, then the masses would be angry with him. You can't be a man of God and say that we should be subservient to such an evil kingdom, people would say. And so if Jesus answered yes, the Pharisees would have what they want. He would lose influence among the people. But if Jesus said no, the Pharisees were going to go sprinting out of there right down to the closest guard shack, get the Roman soldiers and say, we have a person down here who is speaking about rebelling against the Roman Empire. And that's a ticket to get yourself killed really quick. And so they think they've got the Jesus cornered with this question. They have him and there's no way out of this. But I want us to look at how Jesus responds because what we're looking at is the heart of the Pharisees. Jesus comes to them, and, it's, and as they come to him, and they're talking, and they're flattering him, they thought they could get him with some double talk, and it says, Jesus perceived their wickedness. Uh, let's stop there for just a second. Uh, that's, that's a pretty strong word to be used in Scripture, wickedness. The wickedness is something that even Jesus, even Jesus saying it just kind of catches me off guard because wickedness means complete evil, completely bankrupt of any morals or any ethics or anything like that. And look at who Jesus is saying this to. He's saying it to the Pharisees. These are well-respected holy men of God. They have all the right answers. They can quote scripture. Some of the Pharisees could quote the entire Old Testament from memory. These are the most holy men or appearing to be holy men that the world had to offer at that time. They were unparalleled in how much they would sacrifice to follow to the letter of the law, the rules that God has set for them, even making some extra ones just for good measure. And Jesus comes to these men and he says, you appear righteous, but you're evil. Now notice what Jesus didn't perceive. Jesus didn't perceive, well, I perceive that they're misguided. Jesus didn't perceive that they meant well. And Jesus didn't even perceive, oh, they have just been taught wrong. Jesus looks into their heart and he perceives that they are are wicked. Now that brings us to a question. How can a religious leader who spends their life serving, quote unquote, serving God, how can a religious leader be wicked? Those two things don't mix. A religious leader and wickedness, or they're not supposed to mix. That brings us to our first take-home truth, a hard truth, but a, tr a truth that we need to walk around thinking about. Being religious does not make you righteous. 
Being religious does not make you righteous. You see, you have these men here who in every aspect of society, they appear to be perfect, but all they are is religious with the wrong motives. See, if wicked means you have a lack of morals and being religious means that you adhere to a bit of morals, those two things don't mix. And so we know something must be wrong in the heart of the Pharisees because they're coming about with obviously the wrong heart because Jesus calls them out on it. So the religion for the Pharisees was not one born of conviction. It was born of power, establishment, and pride. Their religion was, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be perfect, and I'm going to um, earn the honor and the respect of the people around me. But it wasn't held in what it was supposed to. When we come to God, when we are religious, it is supposed to be held by a deep conviction. And we know that they didn't have any convictions whatsoever because of who they worked with. In the scripture, it mentions a group of people called the Heridians. Now, the Heridians are an interesting group of people that we don't know just a lot about them. We do know a little bit. What we do know for sure is that within the Jewish community, there were different sections of Jews, different belief systems that they all kind of had their own doctrines. It's like modern day biblical or modern day Christian denominations. That They're a little bit different. So when the Pharisees grabbed the Heridians, this is a mixture of two groups that usually don't get along. It's like the Catholics grabbing the uh, uh, um, we'll say Baptist. I forgot where I was going with that. Anyway, that's like, that's like two different religions gathering around and coming together and trying to do something together. Now, here's what's interesting about the Heridians. The Heridians worshipped Herod as the Messiah. They, they felt that Herod might be the Messiah. And so what we have is we have the Pharisees and they go find a group of people who are proclaiming a false Messiah and they conspire with them to kill Jesus for the sin of what they thought was claiming to be a false Messiah. How does that work? How can you at one point say, um, I'm okay with this group of people claiming a false Messiah, but I want Jesus killed because I think that he is a false Messiah. That's like me standing up here and saying, every Baptist I've ever met is a heretic. And I'm a Baptist preacher. That, that's what the Pharisees have got themselves into. They're not working out of conviction. They're working out of their establishment. And we know that because of who they worked with. So why would they work with this group of people? because Jesus threatened their establishment. Jesus threatened their power. Jesus threatened their prestige. Jesus threatened their ability to be someone. And so they hated Jesus to the point that they would compromise their morals or what they thought morals they had, what their morals they thought. They would compromise their morals to get after Jesus. And so Jesus perceived them as wicked. See, Jesus can see motives when most people see actions. Jesus can see heart when most people see appearance. Jesus can see what you're thinking when you're saying a completely different thing. And so Jesus says, I see your robes. I see your words and your titles. I see the holiness that you carry. But inwardly, he could look in and see the wicked heart of the Pharisees, that they were rebelling against God, that they were completely bankrupt of, of morals. And so he levels this public claim at them. He, 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 the first thing he says is, you hypocrites. I hate that word. I hate the word hypocrites. It stings a little bit because you know who else gets called hypocrites? We do. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. And a hypocrite, if we want to define it very simply, is just simply this, a person who pretends to have morals. Think about that really hard. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, and he says, you are only pretending to be holy. 
you're not holy. You don't even want to be holy. You just want to look like you are. You want to pretend. That brings us to our second take-home truth, is that the simply religious were a shell of perfection. The simply religious were a shell of perfection. I've got a question for y'all, and I want to make sure we don't get it wrong, so I brought visual aids today. Nobody gets this question wrong. It's like an open book test. What color is an egg? You guys don't seem really sure about that. What color is an egg? Maybe I should modify my, my visual here. Let, let, me, let me do this. Get two of them so we can see it. Uh, let's try again. Uh, what color is an egg? Yellow. Now you guys are scared. It was a trick question. I'm sorry. I pulled that on you. Uh, uh, an egg is yellow. Now, in, in order to answer that question, we had to come around to a train of thought where when I separated two parts of an egg, we had to decide which part is the essence of the egg and which part is not. And so we looked at this and we said, this is actually egg. I can take this. I can make a fried egg. I can make an omelet. I can make scrambled, uh, scrambled eggs. Somebody in this church could take these two eggs and make me a really wonderful chocolate cake. And if that's you, come get these after service, okay? I would love for you to have them. But we had to make a decision. What is the essence of the egg? Is it the inside, what's inside, or is it the visible part that you can see, the shell? And we all collectively made the decision that it's the inside part. See, with an egg, the outer shell does not truly tell you what the essence of the egg is. It gives you an appearance, it gives you a color, it gives you a shape, but it doesn't actually portray what's inside of it. And this is the sin of the Pharisees, is that what their outside shell is does not match what is inside of them. They appear holy, but they are innerly wicked. This is the sin of the Pharisees. It's not that they're unholy, it's that they pretend to be holy when they are unholy. This is the sin of the Pharisees, and this is the sin of so many followers of Christ today. We, we put on this appearance of pretending to be holy, but it doesn't match what is inside of us. Our outside appearance does not match our inside, what you might call our essence. And so we are labeled hypocrites because we pretend to have morals. I had a student have a discussion with me one time. And by the way, if you have kids or grandkids, let me tell you something. There are no secrets in your house anymore. Everybody knows what's going on. It is public knowledge because your kids and your grandkids, they are tattling on you to everybody they come across. I had a student one time and she was laughing at me and she said, she said you know, uh, my mom drinks. Not like an alcoholic, but she drinks. And, and it's kind of funny. And she was laughing at this. She said, she hides the alcohol bottles in the house. And when she's done with them, she wraps them up in something really tight and puts them in the bottom of the trash can and then explained it to me this way. In case somebody from their church comes over, there's no chance they'll ever find that bottle in the trash can. Why do we do that? We can get to the alcohol discussion a different time. Why would we do that? Why would we do something and then hide it and pretend that we don't? It's because we invest in a shell of perfection. I want to be seen as perfect. I want to pretend like I don't do things that I do or that I do, do things that I don't. We really have a heart for the shell of perfection. But here is the problem with this. When we place an importance on the shell of perfection, a shell is easy to break and easy to see through. And this is why in the world around us we are labeled as hypocrites. I'm going to own it. We earn that title sometimes. 
We earn that title of pretending to have morals, of saying we believe in one thing and we don't. The people who use that term the most, people who we might descri uh, describe as atheists, they seem to have like a vendetta against the church. They, they hate Christians. And if you ask them, why do you hate Christians? Every Christian I've ever met is a hypocrite. And you think, well, that can't be right. That can't be right. It can't be every Christian. But then they'll level at you one story one story of a hypocrite that they came in contact with. They'll say, you know, my mom was the piano player at church, but she cheated on my dad and I had to hide her boyfriends all throughout my childhood. My dad was a deacon, but he had anger issues and he abused us. People will come up with stories... <clears throat> Stories like, I've got a neighbor, and they've got a cross in their front yard, and all of the banners have scripture on them, but when my dog got in her flower garden, she cussed me out. I've got a co-worker that is at church every time the door opens, and she even teaches Sunday school, but she is the biggest gossip that I've ever seen. And they'll come up with these stories that I have no doubt are true, because the truth of it is, is a lot of times we pretend to be perfect when we come here. We pre pretend to be perfect around Christians. We pretend to be perfect in the world, but inwardly, Inwardly, we have some wickedness still left in us. And that's okay. Well, I don't want to say that's okay. But the truth is we need to start embracing this to a degree. Now, I'm going to do something different today. You guys ready for this? Here's something different. I'm going to say something, and if you agree with it, you're going to say amen. Okay? I know we don't do that here. This is where I talk and y'all are quiet, but we're going to do it. Everybody understand the rules? All right. If you agree with this, I want you to say amen. And we won't do it again for like another six months, okay? We have a conviction and a belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, that's, that's, that's very simple. Like, that's something we agree with. And the gospel of Jesus Christ starts with one basic premise. And that basic premise is not our perfection. That basic premise is our imperfection. See, the gospel starts with this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of them. I'm included in all. You're included in all. Right? I'm getting some head nods. So we're, we're on, on the right track. There is none righteous. No, not one. The, the very premise of the gospel that we claim to carry to the world is that we cannot be perfect at all. So if we truly have a conviction of the gospel that there are none perfect, why would we pretend to be perfect in the world around us? Why would we put on a shell of perfection? Why would we pretend to be more holy than we really are? What causes us to think that that's needed? Because here is what is great about not having to be perfect. Did you know that perfection is not required for the gospel? We, we don't have to be perfect. We don't ever have to attain per perfection because we can't. But when we can admit our imperfection, when we can admit our weaknesses, when we can come together and say, this is where I mess up, it shows the perfection of Jesus Christ in our life. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I make mistakes every day. I hope you're shocked at that because I'm obviously pretty good at being perfect, right? I make mistakes every day and I've got this really fun voice in the back of my head that goes, ah, good job, Pastor Brian. I hope you're not preaching on sin this week. And there's this voice that tells me, you've got to be perfect, otherwise you can't serve God. And that is a lie from Satan. And each of you, have that same voice that maybe says something different. It says, you've got to be perfect or you can't serve God. But the gospel tells us the exact opposite. See, when we put on when we put on our shell of perfection, it's because we're valuing prestige, people's opinions, and power. When we truly value and have a conviction about the message that we're supposed to be sharing with the world, we walk into the world and we say, I am imperfect. I, I have this sin problem in my life. But here's what's great about being imperfect, 
is that even though I can't be perfect, even though I can't do everything right, even though I messed up, even though I tried really hard but I still did it anyway, is each of us are held in God's hand and he's slowly squeezing and forming and molding and he's taking our inner essence and he's doing something special in us and he's bringing us closer to his perfection and that is the message we carry to the world it's not how good I am or how good I've become it's how good the one who is working in me is see his perfection is our goal A.W. Pink was a um, evangelist in the early 1900s and he said it this way he said it is not the absence of sin but the grieving over it that distinguishes the child of God from the empty professors. It's, it's not our perfection that makes us a Christian. It's our desire to be perfect. I hope that each one of us goes, uh, wakes up every day knowing that we will mess up, but with a goal of not messing up as much as we did yesterday. Getting closer and closer and closer to uh, getting sin out of our life. It's not about our perfection. It's about the perfection of our Savior. Now, I want to be clear. This is not a message where I say, hey, go live however you want to, and it's okay. Th this is a message that says, you're going to mess up. But the grace of God is there to cover that. And it's okay to admit that in this church to each other. See, people don't need to see our shells of perfection. They don't need to see us walk out of here and think they've got it all put together. They don't need to see us wearing that shell of perfection. They need to see us wearing the robes of righteousness that are provided to us by Jesus Christ. That we have come to this place not because we're perfect, but because we understand how imperfect we are. Now, if we truly believe that, our church will reflect it. If we truly believe that there are none perfect, our, our church will reflect it because this will be a place that is not a place of judgment. This will be a place where I can come in and I can come to my Christian brothers and sisters and I can say, I have this sin in my life. And instead of being gossiped about, and instead of being talked down to or talked down about, you guys, my family, we as a family, we can gather around and we can work together to get closer to God. We can work together to stomp sin out of our life. And as people come in here, we're going to get some dirty, broken people with sin in their life. And when people come to, the Christ, or come to Christ for the first time, sin is not just going to immediately exit their life. It's a process that they'll go through. And we as a church have to be willing to stand on the truth that we don't expect perfection. We expect effort, but not perfection. And we're here to structure and help grow and help people help people grow closer to Christ. We have the option. We can be that kind of a church or we can be a church that continues to wear a shell of protection. Pretending to be perfect, pretending to be holier than the people around us, and pretending like we've got it all figured out when we don't. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. That's why they're coming to Jesus and asking him this question. They think if we can make him mess up, it'll make us look better. And so they came to him with this question, should, should we pay or not? Should we pay these taxes to this heathen government that rules over us, that, that God obviously doesn't want to rule over us? Should we obey their laws and obey their rules? Jesus answers in verse 19. This is what Jesus says in verse 19. He tells them, he says, Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and subscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then he said unto them, Render, that word means return, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him, and they went 
their way. Now Jesus comes up with this answer to this question. He, he's so good at this. There's no right way to answer this question. And he's like, here's a rock. Let you, without sin, cast the first stone. Or bring me a coin and give it back to whose image is on it. But here's what's interesting about how Jesus attacks that. He takes the coin and he asks, whose image is on it? And they said, well, it's Caesar's image. He says, well, give it back to Caesar then. He provides proof of ownership by whose image is on it. That brings us to our third take-home truth is when in doubt, when in doubt, return it to whose image is on it. When in doubt, return it to whose image is on it. For years, I've heard this preached on or taught that this is a, a, a verse that kind of teaches us to tithe. And I want to be clear, we as a church, we believe that um, as a responsibility of a Christian, that if we want God to work in our hearts, we've got to let him work in our wallets. We believe in giving 10% to the Lord and more. That's the bare minimum is 10%. We believe that is a truth that we should do. But as I've studied that this week and I've really looked into this, I've come to a conclusion. I don't think that was Jesus' main point of this scripture. Now, the scripture has this awesome way of having some duality to it. It's, it's a, it's a one-dimensional statement, but it can teach us thousands of different things. That's the way Jesus taught. That's the way the Holy Word of God teaches us today. It's one statement that teaches a thousand different ways. That's why if you had a hundred preachers in Arkansas today preaching the same scripture, there'd be a hundred different sermons with thousands of different points and hundreds of different emphases. 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 Anyway, Here's what I think that we were getting at. If Jesus follows the statement, give God what is God's, right after he provides proof of ownership of the coin by whose image is on it, I think we need to ask, what bears the image of God in this world? If that provides proof of ownership, what bears the image of God in this world? There's only one thing, going all the way back to Genesis 1, that bears the image of God in this world. Do you know what it is? It's you and me. It's human beings. And so Jesus, in the middle of this conversation, he gives us a peek into his heart. He's not worried about taxes. He's not worried about governments. He's not worried about all the things that we tend to focus on. Jesus Christ is worried about one thing. He says, I won't return to me what was mine and what sin took from me. Jesus believed that, and he pursued it with a passion. He pursued having the, us return to him with such a vengeance that he pursued it onto a cross where he shed his blood and died to have us back. Jesus is not worried about the world around us. Jesus is not worried about what kind of shell we are. He is not worried about what's perfect. Jesus wants us as we are so that he can begin to mold us back into his image and make us what he originally meant for us to be. Now, the question is, if I'll have the musicians, please. The question this morning is, there's two, there's two things that are really on my heart with this message. Number one is, have we returned to Christ? Jesus Christ loved us with such a passion that he made a path for us to return to him. He gave his life so that we could accept his free gift of salvation, and all it takes is faith. Just a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you haven't made that decision, I'd invite you to do that. But for those of us that have made that do we still really hold on to that? That it doesn't take perfection, that it just takes faith in following Jesus Christ to be His. 